I get what you're saying, but guess what? I respectfully disagree. This is the first official episode of the I Respectfully Disagree podcast. I got two guests with me this morning to help me kick this off. Um, We're going to talk about AAU basketball, dive into the Lakers, touch on this Kobe situation. It's a very unfortunate situation. I know a lot of us did not expect that to happen. Not at all. And... These are some of the topics that, that we want to touch on today. And just to introduce the two guests that I got with me, to my left, I got my homie Daryl. I don't know if he wants me to put in his full credentials, so we'll <laughs> stick to first name basics. Nah, man, I still got warrants, man. I ain't going that far. And to my right, I got my guy C, Chris. Yeah. All right. So before we even get started, I want to thank both of y'all for taking the time out to help me get this off the ground, get this first episode going. Special thanks to you, C, because honestly, you are by far one of the most positive dudes I've ever seen in my life. I appreciate that. I've never seen this guy upset and really be upset. And for almost about two years now, maybe, he, hey man, when you're getting the podcast started, when you're getting the podcast started, and I heard every word you were saying, dude. And in my mind, I'm saying to myself, maybe I do need to do this. Maybe I do need to. Because every time I was going live, you know, people were actually watching. And I looked down and I actually been on there for like an hour, hour and a half. And people literally sat there the entire time. Tuning in. So those little seeds, dog, like I, I appreciate it. And also I want to give a, a thanks to my wife because she's the one who walked in and gave me the microphone. She's like, no more excuses. That's what she said, here. I had no idea that she was doing it. I wasn't even in the process of looking for microphones or or none of that. Like, we had done it in the past. I went and looked, but then I'm like, I'll get to it. I'll do it. I just kept pushing it off. And she comes in with a microphone and she literally was like, no more excuses. Go be great. Right. So here we are, man. Like, again, I appreciate y'all. All good. No time better than now. I think that's the main thing. Just believing in yourself. That's all it really takes. You know, life's all about a mindset. So, And that's the key, man. Get rid of all these, these mental demons. Um, AAU basketball. And the reason why I want to touch on it is because basketball, to me, is the most exciting sport. Like, I love basketball. I'm old now. I ain't going to say old because 35 really ain't old to, to most people. But I've been around basketball since I was probably like eight or nine years old. So that's why I use the word old or whatnot. But it's 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 a passion of mine even to this day. Like even though I don't play organized basketball on a team or leagues and stuff like that, anytime I can get an opportunity to go out there and just shoot, like, it brings joy to me. So, now that I'm uh, volunteering to help coach elementary school basketball, and I'm looking at how things are being ran here in the city, it's like, is AAU really a good thing for the sport itself? And that's why I wanted to include y'all on this first episode, because both of y'all have experience with AAU directly. So, it's, it's not like, 
you just got a bunch of people on a microphone spitting out a bunch of opinions. Nobody's ever played AAU. Nobody's ever been coaching and doing this and doing that. So you just got a bunch of people spitting out a bunch of BS. That's why I wanted both of y'all here. So we can get a real opinion on the situations and how we agree or disagree with how AAU is being ran and whether or not overall is it actually good for the game. So I'm going to open up the floor to y'all before I give my thoughts on it just so I can hear y'all's perspective and then we'll go from there. I think just just from my own personal experience about me coaching girls AAU basketball basically seventh and ninth grade, the one thing I notice more than anything is just I think the parent has to be in tune with everything first. Before the kid signs up, you have to know what you're getting into. So the program that I was a part of wasn't a sponsored program. So you had to pay to play. So it's a little different when you go to some of these organizations where you don't have to pay, they recruit you. Mm -hmm. So it's two different type of situations that you're dealing with where you get one team that's an all-out traveling team sponsored by Nike or Adidas or whoever, and you know, you're playing in all these top-tier tournaments with all these colleges waiting for you to show up. Versus me, you got these girls that are just starting to play basketball. They're still learning. Gotcha. And I've been in situations where parents was like, you know, I just want my kid to do something for the summer. And, you know, but I'm giving my time thinking, you know, hey, they trying to make it to the WNBA or they trying to get to college. But also I think sometimes that's where there could be a disconnect with the players, parents, and the coaches because apparently the coach always felt like if you want to go to college, you got to come to practice. But you got some of these young ladies that basically are transitioning to young women. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to think about that too. So the way that he wants to coach them might not be the best fit for them at that time because this is not a sponsored team. We come in here, we playing games, we getting better. But like I always used to tell the players every day in practice, don't just get better, you know, don't get better for yourself. You know, but get better for yourself, but also take what you learn here. And when you go back to middle school, high school, take what you learn to be better for your team. Use this as a stepping stone to get better for exactly. your school. Versus exactly. just, you know, just coming in and playing. But that's what I got for now. And and I, I agree on that. Just to piggyback off of that, it's like it should be a stepping stone, in my opinion. And the key word that you used was sponsor. And that's why, in my opinion, I feel like it hurts the game because these kids are not looking at it in terms of getting better. These kids see, oh, I want to go to a Nike-sponsored team because they get all the, the Durants. They get all the Kobe's. I get the, get the LeBrons for free. And it's like you're not even in it for the game itself. And, of course, these sponsored teams are only going to pick the best of the best kids. And a lot of these kids are just – naturally born athletes like run and jump the highest and this and that but are you actually tapping into the fundamentals to help them learn basketball right. and it becomes no I'm just trying to win games I just want to win tournament games so I can get that spotlight get that exposure at the expense of the kids mm -hmm. and that's the part that I'm like no I don't agree with that so, Daryl, you have a, a younger brother that went through that whole cycle and just kind of touch base on, on your experience with that process. Yeah. As far as what you said, like you said, everybody's trying to piggyback off of everybody. Everybody's looking for exposure for the most part as far as the sponsored AAU. 
uh, coaches are trying to make it off the backs of talented kids. Talented kids are just trying to be seen and get to the next level. But like you said, are the fundamentals and is the game really being learned or is everybody just using someone else to get to the next level? Uh, as far as my brother, he played competitively for years within the AAU circuit. He's traveled. Uh, he's played against, you know, numerous people throughout uh, the time that he played, but he got to a point where he was over it. Uh, he said he enjoyed the experience, that he had fun, that it was nice to travel, play against the different talent levels, and, you know, compete. But he said that there was just a lot that went into it as far as the politics, as far as trying to push certain guys to be great or who's going to play and who's not and everything that goes along with it. Uh, so it kind of took some of the fun out of for him. He, he was one who, you know, wanted to see how far he could take it, but at the same time he wanted to have fun while doing it. And once the fun was kind of sucked out of it because it did become a political game or a game of, you know, who can we ride to the next level or who needs to be pushed and right. who kind of just needs to be sat back. Uh, of course, he wanted to win, and he understands that, you know, certain guys do this and certain guys do that for your team, but it just, for him, it stopped being fun. So he started focusing on, you know, being better for his high school team. Like C said, you know, what can I take from this experience and take back to the high school game in order to, you know, further my career and see how far I can take this. Exactly, and, and I'm going to focus on another key word that you put in there, fun. Like, to me, the sport, all sports should be fun. And I feel like now this whole AAU thing has become a business. Like, mm -hmm. growing up, we went to AAU tournaments and this and that, and I didn't even know that that's what it was. Like, I was on the high school team, and we went all the way out to Kansas. We went down to Arkansas, and they were just like, you know, we're going to this camp. And we had to actually, like you said, we had to raise the money mm -hmm. to go. We was doing car wash drives, uh, fish fries, all this and that to raise the money. So we drive all the way out to Kansas, carpooling. We took like four cars, go all the way out to Kansas, and then we get there. And I'm thinking that it's a, a basketball camp because I've been to basketball camps, uh, the one here in Transy, uh, Don Lane down uh, in Lexington. And that was a fundamental camp. All during the week, we're working on dribbling, post moves, how to use this on defense and do this and do that. And then as the week progressed, that's when we started playing the other schools that were there and we had a tournament. And then the closing weekend was the championship game on the main college floor and this and that. But the whole experience was fundamentals. You were teaching the game. But we go all the way out to Kansas, nothing was taught. Like we just had a schedule. This is what time you play. If you, if you win, you play later on. If you lose, you play this time. And that was the first day. So we wake up the next day, go play a game. Two hours later, we had another game. So then on the third day, that's when the tournament stuff started. Mm -hmm. And if you lost, you were done. We got in the car, drove all the way back to Kentucky. And in my mind, I'm like, what was this? Had no clue that this term AAU even existed. Mm -hmm. But... The, the level of play, we were getting destroyed. Like, there was no reason for us to be all the way out there playing against these, these kids, but we didn't know what to expect. Right. But our coach was saying to us, 
So what if we lose? Nobody back home knows that, that we lost and nothing. Take that experience and apply it to the regular season. As a 16, 17-year-old kid, I didn't know what was going on. We turn around and go all the way down to Arkansas, do the same thing. That summer, I honestly don't think we won a game, literally. So then that's when I started hearing the LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony. Like, I'm the same age as LeBron. That's when the whole games on ESPN started becoming a thing. And I feel like that's when all of this kind of started. You started highlighting high school kids to where now – Moving forward, you got Bronny on TV. And I and I, I piggyback off that. So I probably told you this before. Obviously, you know, I was a high school manager. Four years, high school manager, male high school, sponsored by Nike. My, I think all four years. But my sophomore year, we was ranked number seventh in the nation. So my sophomore year, we played LeBron James in Akron, Ohio. I get on the bus, go to the game, walk in to college. We're not at high school. I was LeBron James, one of the coaches. Oh, he go, he's going to be the first pick. He scored 37 points. I remember like it was yesterday. We lost by five points. Oh, wow. But, you know, it's him, Romeo Travis, Drew Joyce, like his main, his main core friends. But in my mind, at that time, as a sophomore in high school, I didn't understand none of it. You know, I'm just here a manager. You know, I'm, you mm-hmm. know, get the – get the stuff ready for the game for the players, be on the bench, you know, and give them what they need and just enjoy the ride. But the benefit for me, I took a lot of trips with him and I saw a lot of things as far as a lot of different players. Like, remember Darius Washington, like from Memphis, mm-hmm. played him. Uh, Hassan Adams to play for uh, Arizona. Played Carmelo Anthony my sophomore year. You know, Carmelo Anthony had 20 points at halftime and their whole team had like 60. We had 17. So, but it's one of those things where it's like, Back then, there wasn't social media. You had to go to the game to see how talented these people were. Right. Now, I don't have to go to a game. But I can sit on my phone, pull up Instagram, and look up any player like Mikey Williams. Look, Pull him up right now. Okay, he done dropped 70-whatever points. He's dunking. He's doing this. He's doing this. But also, I can see the negative side of these kids where he's going live in LeBron's house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you can you can see everything online. Right, but, right. It's definitely it definitely changed, but even back to what you said about your team going traveling to Kansas or Arkansas, that's one of the things I noticed when I first joined the AAU program that I was, that I was a part of. There wasn't a lot of communication. That's the main thing. There was no really communication. It was more so you come here, we spent have a two hour practice, hour and a half on plays that they never ran in the game. They get out there against a team that's basically a, a season team. That's running circles around us. Right. And they had the conversation. Well, you know what? We keep losing these games. Maybe we can put them in that league in Mid-America on Friday nights to build their confidence up so they can win some games. But instead of just taking it, taking the blow as the coach and be like, okay, here, let's go back to the drawing board and figure out what we can do to bring out each individual talent. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So. And for me, that's where I feel like the game is being watered down because – Going back to me, I remember to this day vividly when I was introduced to basketball. I was in the third grade. We had a church league. My coach was my history teacher in middle school, Mr. Johnson. He literally, the first day of practice, showed us the mechanics of a proper layup, how to jump off the correct foot, 
we worked on that for 30 minutes. That was the first practice, how to jump off the, the correct foot. So when you came in the next day, you better be trying to do it. If I see you doing this monkey BS and this and that, then you got a down and back because you wasn't paying attention. You're here to learn. He introduced us how to post up, how to use your body, feel the defense. And, and I'm, I'm nine years old, eight years old. And that's something that has stuck with me to this day. So as a coach of elementary school kids, when I walked into that gym, I tried to teach them the same exact things. But they're trying to Euro. They want to cross over. They want to go behind the back. And you can't even dribble from the baseline to half court with your left hand without losing the ball out of bounds. And I'm like, something is wrong with that picture. But at the same time, all these kids have access to social media. They see these kids doing the AAU stuff and this and that. And I'm like, where is the basics? You have to learn the basics before you can get to that level. You can't skip this process. So it shows up in our games because last year, we're in a tournament. We're down by four points with like 30-something seconds left in the game. Kid steals the ball. He's left-handed. He's dribbling on the left side of the floor, which should be his strong hand. You would think, oh, I'm just going to go attack the basket. Right. This kid gets a steal, tries to Euro, took the extra step. Referee calls the travel. We lose the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, the whole season, we've told them, stop trying to do that. Keep it simple. The game of basketball can be simple if you use your mind and just play the game. I don't need to cross over, spin move, behind the back, between the legs, do this and do that to go get two points. Mm -hmm. When I can simply give you a head fake, get you off the ground, and dribble right around you. Right. I think the game is just focused so much on highlights, and being fancy and being able to say ooh and ah at whatever you've done that a lot of the fundamentals do get, you know, thrown on the back burner. I mean, you, like you said, you have a kid come down in Euro and, you know, spin move this and that, but can't dribble with their left hand. You know, they come up the court, get trapped or whatnot, they're, they're done, they're stuck. So you can do all this fancy stuff all game, but we ask you to do one simple thing like bring the ball up court and you can't switch over to your left hand in order to get it across, what are we really doing here? We kind of touched on it once before, but I think about like the movie Drumline. You had a dude going off on the drums because he just naturally talented with drum, couldn't read music at all though. So they asked him, hey, next performance, we go play this, so we need you to go ahead and be ready. He was lost. He had no clue what the next performance was gonna be, what they was gonna do. Because he didn't have the fundamental, he couldn't read music enough to be able to show up and be ready. And it's the same with these kids where, you know, they learn all the fancy stuff. They're doing all the, you know, rocking of the cradle and all the celebrations and everything. But if you ask them to set a down screen or you ask them to do this, and not even at the age that you're talking about. You, you talk about kids who have these highlight reels and in high school and you see them. But you ask them to set a down screen, they have no clue what you're talking about. What's a down screen? Right. And these are things that, I mean, you learned in middle school and high school as far as basketball goes. You learn how to read a screen. When right. defender goes under, what do you do? You, you pop out or, you know, you continue to curl. I mean, it's little things like that that could change a game that kids aren't learning because they're focused on the wrong things. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you said it because, like, even with me coaching, like I said, I coach 7th through ninth grade, but technically most of the kids were 13th through 16th. So, 
it's the dribbles, the handles, whatever, the Euro steps, whatever. But one thing I noticed that they didn't understand was game situations. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand exactly. that. They didn't understand that at all. Like, we can be sitting there, the score can be 40 to 42. They have, you know, we don't have the balls 20 seconds. They are not going to foul. No foul. And I'm like, what are y'all not, you're, you're not paying attention? Pay attention. Right. What? Exactly. We're losing. We're down two with 20 seconds to go. We don't have the ball. Either play aggressive defense, try to get a steal, or foul. And that's where the game gets kind of sketchy. And not to keep making this about me, but it's like for my coach to put us together in the third grade. Because even through after the church league was over, he put together a traveling team. We just traveled to all the little local little schools around. And we was playing together from the time I was in third grade to the time I got to junior high. So we had already built this chemistry. We knew how to play off of each other. And we went from seventh grade to probably my freshman year before we lost a game. Mm. And that's what I tell people. Like, that chemistry and playing with each other is important. And that's what made it fun for us. Because every day after school, we couldn't wait to pick up a basketball, go to the park, sitting around playing 21, or we'd have shootout competitions. And we'd done that all together as friends. So when we got on the basketball court together, we already knew how to play. But then you go to this AAU stuff, and you're just picking kids at random Mm -hmm. and throwing them on the court and just expect them to just go out here and already know how to play with each other. That, in my opinion, drives up turnovers Mm -hmm. because you don't don't know where such and such wants the ball in certain spots and this and that. Or you try behind the back pass when somebody was looking for a lob and do, do, do. And I'm like... That, to me, is where the game is being lost. I mean, firsthand, like, when I went to practice, they didn't want to practice. They would say, they, they, they would say, I don't want to practice. And my mind is, I think practice should be harder than the game. Amen. You practice hard, the game's easy. Exactly. It's like studying for a test. It's, no, it's the same thing. It's no different. And I used to tell the coaches, just tell them. You know, because I didn't have a lot of authority, so I was just the assistants. I always say, just practice should be harder than the game. They should be in here getting a little physical, getting upset because they're working together. They're becoming a team every practice. We're getting closer every single practice. You know, like the, the young girls, you know, you know, you came to a game. You saw them. When I first got there, they, didn't, they couldn't figure it out, you know. But as the year progressed, the season progressed, they kept getting better. They kept getting better. I felt like they could have won every game because they got more comfortable and right. they start understanding the game. But exactly. a lot of people don't want to practice. Because like you said, we get online, we see all this stuff. Now, it's like a microwave effect. And like I said, I think a lot of parents are at fault, too, because when you, like, you know, Peyton plays now. So, you know, and I see you working with him. But if you didn't work, you know, if you didn't work with him and you put him out on the court and whatever he does now is fine. But if he's out there doing that and you get mad, but, you know, I guess what are you doing at home with him? That you know what I'm gonna pause you because that's perfect because he had a game last night mm-hmm. and when I tell you I sat on the sidelines and I was livid like I'm not gonna sit there and cuss and all that because I want to keep it professional so to speak but it's like okay you heard me say I love the game of basketball right do I want my son to play basketball of course I do I would love for him to play but I'm not gonna force it on him right. he's only five right right but I see parents. Who already have their kids with shooting coaches, mm-hmm. dribbling coaches, and it's become a nine to five for a child. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, 
are you doing this because you're trying to build a professional athlete or mm-hmm. are you doing it because this child is enjoying it and he wants to do it? Right. I bought Peyton a basketball goal. I gave him the tools. I'm waiting for him. There's days where he's like, Dad, can we go outside and shoot? I'll stop what I'm doing. Let's go. But I don't wake up every day. Come on. We got to go get these shots in. Right. Come on. You got to dribble this and that. And this gotten to the point to where now when he wakes up every morning, he goes and picks his ball up. He's dribbling around the house to the point to where we got to yell at him. Do me in here sleep. <laughs> Put the ball down. Put the ball down. Like, I'll be at you. No, he done it this morning. That's what woke me up this morning. Peyton was up at 6. He gets his basketball, and I hear his basketball dribbling around the house, and I don't even have to tell him. So, for that, I'm saying to myself, I planted the seed. Right. I'm just waiting on him to water it. Mm-hmm. I'll sprinkle a little bit of nutrients and this and that to help it. But when he's ready for that to grow, then I'm here to provide the light. Let's right. go. But the game last night, we put him in this little church league, and I'm thinking that it's just going to be an introduction to basketball. Nothing serious. Here's how to dribble. Here's how you do this and do that. show up. Oh, my God. The very first game, that's who we play. We play this little kid. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to give Peyton the benefit of the doubt. Because he's five. Right. Some of these kids are seven and eight. Okay. So, from that perspective, I can't expect him to be at the same level of some of these kids because physically, they're stronger than him. They know how to run in and throw it up. I'm working on him to be able to get out there and just be comfortable to get his own shot up without having to stop and focus and do this and do that. So, first game, this little kid literally scores 26 points on us. He knew the situations in the game. Because in that league, at the, the last minute of every quarter, you can full court press. He's looking at the clock. As soon as it hit a minute, he turns around and darts down the other end to go get a steal from these kids that can barely dribble. But he took it, went right back up and scored. And you say that in regards to teenagers. So I'm saying to myself in my mind, and I'm dissecting all of this, I'm like, if this kid is seven, and he already knows that. Mm-hmm. Kudos to whoever's teaching him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in my own mind, I'm like, my son is already behind. It's not a learning experience because they're literally out here trying to compete to right. win. And that's why I'm like, where is the fun in the game? At? Right. If you got a child that's six or seven years old that is already in the mind frame of, I got to go out here and win at all costs. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? Is that a good trait? It is, so to speak. Hopefully that child grows up and be the coldest in the city. But for me, having a son that I've never introduced to the game, we don't have that kind of conversation. I signed him up thinking that he's going to learn Mm -hmm. basketball. Right. And we're five games in. Nothing is being taught. They're out there working on plays. I'm like, these kids can't even dribble yet. Why are you trying to show them how to, here, y'all two come up and set a pick. You dribble off the pick and do this and do that. I'm like, bro, they're not ready for that. I coach elementary, third through fifth grade, and they're not ready for that. So how can you expect these toddlers, so to speak, to know that? And I'm like, where are we going with the game? Question for you. So during the game, how many times do they run these plays? He's expecting them to come down every trip. It never worked. Exactly. Like, never. Exactly. It'd be pretty much like I was saying with the the women, I, the, the young ladies I was coaching. We spent two hour practices, an hour and a thirty hour and thirty minutes on plays, 
they do not run them in the game because, unfortunately, the defense that you're practicing against is not the same defense you're playing against. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, kind of like you said, so if the players on Peyton team, on Peyton's team might not be prepared for game situations, then you run into a situation like the little boy that should be probably playing. Like, I'm calling him Danny Amante. You know, he should be, he should be, he's in the wrong league. But if he shows up and he knows the game situation, you know, here you are at the game watching your son play. He might be coming up the court dribbling, you know, taking his time, doing his best to get up the court. Then here comes this little boy that's experienced that already has that mindset. It's under a minute. I can press, I can press him. I'm going to take this ball and go lay it up. And like you just said, I signed my son up to have fun and learn the game. But here we are with all these NBA rules that y'all, you know, right. put on us and, <laughs> It's right. like it's it's kind of conflicted sometimes, but it's still a learning experience overall. And it's like he he's aware of winning and losing. So if my child looks up at the scoreboard, plus he knows his numbers, so he knows that uh, thirty-two to six. Uh, wait a minute, that's not good. So he's getting in the car and he's down and he's hurt and this and that. And I'm like, come on, bro. Like, okay, yes, somebody's gonna lose. Somebody has to lose. But at the same token, it's like this child feels that right you are already discouraging these mm-hmm. kids at five years old and making it about who is the most talented out here and if you are talented i need you on my team yeah i think that's one of those things where it goes back like you said well like c said too about the parents being involved because like you said kid goes home sees the score I mean, we just lost 32 to 6 wasn't close we looked bad and said get discouraged and it's one of those things where Parents got to step back in and, you know, do the best they can as far as molding and keeping their head up, saying, you know, hey, 32-6, cool. You know, it's not always about winning and losing, even though we all want to win. I mean, or nobody gets into something and says, hey, I just really don't care if we lose. I just want to be out here or whatnot. I find it rare myself anyway because I'm a competitive person. But to look at them and say, hey, you know, we're going to continue to get better. We'll continue to learn, you know. Uh, from here, what we're going to do is we'll, we'll practice when you're ready to practice. We'll get out there. But it's going to be hard sometimes. It's gonna be, there's going to be people who are better than you. There's going to be situations where you're the underdog. But we got to keep playing. We got to keep fighting. And we'll get better. We'll get there. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it, it has its, its pros and cons. And just going back to some of the stuff that you were saying, see, when, when you were uh, at Mail, yeah. Y'all traveled. You got to experience different cities, different cultures. Like you said, y'all walked into a college atmosphere mm-hmm. for a high school game. So, yes, th- those are some of the, the 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 pros of the AAU circuit. Social skills for the ones that are extremely talented, your LeBrons, your T-Macs, your Kobe's. You get that exposure. You get that promotion the marketing aspect of it to where the whole world knows who you are. LeBron gets a Nike deal soon as he graduates. So for that, yes, because he was an extraordinary athlete. Kobe Bryant was an extraordinary athlete to where you are ready to play professional basketball at 17, 18 years old. J.R. Smith was one as well. Like a lot of people don't know that, but it's like he stood out amongst the rest of the kids. But nowadays, Everybody thinks their child can do that. Not to talk down on any parent or tell them that you shouldn't promote your kids and build them up to think that they can be anything they want to be. But it's like, 
come on, man. It's a money grab to me now mm-hmm. because it's like as long as you got a team and you're willing to pay that, that entry fee, here, the more the merrier. Right. Where is the money going? That's what I want to know. Like, where does like we are in a, a situation where they're talking about paying college athletes and this and that because the schools are making money off of these kids' names. But what about the AAU circuit? Where does that money go? Because these are random individual teams that are signing up to come to a tournament. So you're not pooling the money and redistributing it out to anybody. Who gets that money? Right. It's a lot of money. A whole lot of money. Like one of my co-workers, her son, they went all the way out to Las Vegas last summer to play. Like they travel, travel. They go to Vegas. They go to Florida. And he plays at Trinity. He's a freshman at Trinity now. Actually made varsity. So it has its benefits. Right. But the same thing I said earlier. They've been with the same group of kids from the time they were young until now. Like three or four of them all went to Trinity. So that's that chemistry that they will always have, and they're going to have that until they leave Trinity or if they go play college ball or whatever. That experience will always be there. So, yes, those are the pros of AAU. You build that camaraderie. You build that that friendship, and you go out there and you just compete so it becomes fun. But for these other parents that's, I want my kid on the best team. Like Derek Ennis, I've heard the stories. Like I don't mean to throw his name out there because I don't know that man personally. But for him as an AAU coach, I've heard that he goes under the table trying to steal kids from other teams and do this and do that. And that's where, in my mind, I'm not used to that. Right. Like, coming from a small place, we were just coming in to have fun, grow up together, play. If we, if we win, we win. If we lose, whatever. But here in Louisville, it's so many kids, so many natural athletes to where – if I'm at a game and I see this kid that stands out, I instantly got to say to myself, how can I get him to get on my team? That happened with us, with the talk girl on the team. You know, we play in these tournaments here and one, an, actually a sponsor team that we lost to approached her at the game and said, hey, you should come play for us next year. Where her father got involved and said, don't approach my daughter again. She's going to stick with this program. And even this year, he already said, she's staying with this program. Mm. I, I know that she's staying because to him, it's not about the sponsorship. He wants his daughter just to get better. He wants his daughter to remain a child, have fun. And I think she's going to be, when she hits, she's going to be in, I think she's going to go to PRP next year, but she's going to be good. You know, mm-hmm. she's going to be playing basketball for two years. Mm. So she's going to be unstoppable. Exactly. So then we're going to transition, get off the elementary, high school level, move on up to college. We set an expectation for these kids based off of social media. Like, I'm sitting here looking at little Bronny James. I've been knowing Bronny James almost for the last two or three years, and he's only 14 or 15 years old. And I'm saying to myself, why do I feel like I know this child? Because every five minutes, somebody's posting clips, posting highlights. So now, he's a freshman. We expect him to go out there and be like his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that should never be the case. Allow these kids to grow. Allow these kids to learn. And just experience it. Where now, as adults, as people in the media, you set these expectations on a 15-year-old kid. You got his games on ESPN, ESPN2, and... You're making it all about a 15-year-old kid. Where you look at it, though, too, where the people out there that has a hate for his own father threw something at him. 
You remember that recently? Right. Someone mm-hmm. threw something right. at Bronny, you know, and it's like, but you know, but LeBron handles everything with class. You know, he, he's, I think he's one of the good, one of the best at doing it anyway. Like he might say stuff privately, but when it comes to the media, he answers pretty well. He knows how to handle it. It's just crazy. And going back to you, Daryl, you know what I'm saying? That That's a, a perfect transition in regards to your brother. It's almost like he was burnt out. Even as adults, we go to work every day. We hit a period where, man, I'm just burnt out. Like, my job, for whatever reason this week, is just kicking my, you know what, I'm burnt out. I need a break from it. So imagine a kid that's had a shooting coach, a dribbling coach, from the time they was nine years old. You are a senior in high school. Now you're 16, 17, 18 maybe. You're talking about almost 10 years of being hands-on with basketball. Every summer you're going to AAU, you're going to practice, Two a days. I know somebody who has a shooting coach. Every morning before school, they get up shots. You get out of school, you go to basketball practice. You leave basketball practice, you go back to your shooting coach and do it all over again. When are you gonna be a kid? And I think it was a big thing with my with my brother. He he played AAU from the time he's probably like five. Uh started playing for his school teams once I think he hit middle school. And uh, it's always just been basketball. Two teams uh, most of the time because AAU and the school team. Uh, you got the practices uh, when school's out. You still got AAU basketball. You're traveling. You're practicing. And uh, once it got down to, I think, halfway through his high school career, I think is when he stepped away from AAU basketball and decided he was going to focus on high school only. Uh, he had changed school, so he wanted to get familiar with his teammates. He wanted to build that chemistry that you talked about because he's, he's joining new guys. So, you know, he stepped away from AAU, and he looked at it as, you know, uh, it's run its course. I've learned what I can from that and experienced it, and I'm going to take it to high school and, you know, use what I learned there and, you know, just see what I can make of my career from here. And I think after his senior year when he was trying to decide if uh, – he was going to play any type of basketball in college, uh, depending on what offers he got and what levels it was. I think he actually had his first real opportunity to sit back and enjoy a summer off because really all he was doing was weighing his options. There was no team he was committed to at the time. And I think he enjoyed the freedom of not being tied to basketball as a job. I think it became a job. Right. It became an obligation, kind of, and something that he has always enjoyed doing and still enjoys doing. He loves playing basketball. He loves the game. But he didn't want it as something that he had to do and that he had to be responsible for because he knew at the next level playing college basketball, no matter D1 through D3 or NIA, that he was going to have a responsibility to get up at a certain time, do something go to class, do something else for basketball, go to practice, learn, play. It was still going to be all about basketball. He wasn't going to have that freedom to be himself. Right. Exactly. And that's why sticking with college now, being a UK fan, for me personally, I don't agree with Calipari's methods because I feel like it's it's similar to AAU basketball. You literally, I mean, of course you're, you're going to go out and recruit and do this and do that, but every year he wants to round up the best kids that he can possibly get, throw them in this big pot, 
stir it up and tell them to go out there and, and serve everybody this spectacular dish. And I'm like, that's not how that works. I feel like NBA basketball is like the G League, so that's my opinion on that. But that, but it's all a trickle down effect, in yeah. my opinion, yeah. because if you look at NBA. You have already put these kids in this big national spotlight, brought up their draft stock based off of what they've done in high school. Mm-hmm. They're only playing college for one year. So you only got to see them for literally six months. So a lot of that is still pushed by what you saw them do in the AAU circuit, mm-hmm. playing against inferior competition. So, of course, they're going to stick out. But then you get drafted, you get to the league, these NBA executives think that they're going to play like what you saw on social media, but now you're playing against grown men, people who are physically equal to you or superior to you. And if you can't deliver, now I got to send you to the, to the uh, developmental league so you can work on it. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It starts with AAU because all your young career Somebody's put you on a highlight reel and made you think in your mind that I'm cold. I can dunk on anybody. I can do this and do that. So now I don't have to work as hard because I feel like I've already made it. Right. I get to college, struggle in college. Calipari, oh, well, I ain't here to develop you. I'm not here to build you up. You got to transfer. You got to go do something else. And that's where I disagree with his methods because college used to be about building a player. You had... Sophomore, juniors, senior. Tim Duncan went all four years, and it showed up in his professional career. Where now it's like, if you're not bringing something to the table immediately, I have no use for you. Duncan was one of the first people I thought about when you started mentioning the whole college being the developmental stage of basketball. They said you got somebody who you expect to be there from three to four years, really. Like leaving as a sophomore was a rare thing as well. Now you got people who are, like I said, one and done. But when you got a guy for three or four years and he's building chemistry with his team, he's actually developing over each year where it's like, as a freshman, you go in, I just need some minutes out of you. I just need you to be out there, do what you do well, and in practice, we'll continue to try to build you up. Sophomore year, you know what we expect from you. You know how the team runs. Now when you get out there, I expect you to be able to produce and give me something. Junior year, Polishing you up. Now we're trying to correct the last of the bad habits that you had so that you possibly can go to the next level or you can just be the leader for our team, the star for our team, so that when we need something from you, we know we can go to you and we can get it. And then you go to the league and you prepare because you've been through the different situations. You've developed, you know, okay, coach taught me this, you know, okay, he's biting me real bad, okay, I need to do this and do that because you've learned this instead of being there for one year and just going off your talent, somebody pushing everything that you do well. You get up the floor, let's run, go, just go. Don't worry about running a half-court offense and learning what we need to do in the half-court because you're a speedster. We just want you to get out there and run because that's what you do well. We'll win these games playing that way. You're a shooter, okay, we'll have you come off a couple screens or whatnot and get you open so you can shoot. But then you get to the next level and everybody's running you off the three-point line and you can't create your own shot off the dribble because you didn't learn at the the level before that. So like you said, you go down to the G League, the D League, whatever it's called now, and you basically get cast away because once you get dropped down, they stop leaving because they're looking at the next bunch from the next year. Exactly. Exactly, and that's why, going back to what you were saying, like that's why I feel like the league now is watered down. 
in my opinion, the professional level is the best of the best. When you get drafted and you walk onto that court, you should already be at at your peak as far as knowing the game, understanding the game. Now you just tap into your individual talent and mm-hmm. figure out how you can make a career of this. But as far as me drafting you and then telling you, you know what, we're going to send you down to the G League for a while, work on your game some more, and then we'll see if we can bring you up. Then you're not a professional. You were not ready for this stage, and that's what I'm saying. Quit pumping these kids up at 17, 18 years old, thinking, making them think that they are ready for that level when not only physically, your body hasn't even matured yet. Like, you have to be a, a standout Dwight Howard, Kobe, LeBron, T-Mac. They just stood out amongst everybody else, and their game was able to go out there and compete with grown men. But telling a, a kid who – I'll use Ingram, and this is going to be a smooth transition into the Laker talk because I said I wanted that to be one of our topics. Brandon Ingram goes to Duke. We already knew he had a slender frame. But based on the potential, everybody's like, oh, he, he's going to be incredible. We compare him to Kevin Durant and this and that. He gave you one year at Duke. I think he averaged, what, 15, something roughly, like that? Roughly. So you never did really even get to see a full body of work. So the Lakers draft him at what, number two? Yeah. He was a number two pick. In my opinion, of course I can't compare every draft class to the 96 class, (laughs) but I set that as a bar because in 96, that's when I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorite classes because I loved Allen Iverson. But in my opinion, I've always thought that if you were a lottery pick, that definitely meant you was ready to come in and contribute right away. We have no questions about you as a lottery pick. We just need to figure out how we're going to use you with the players that we have. But we expect you to come in and make an impact right now. And you draft Ingram. And in my opinion, due to his frame, we all knew that he was talented. But due to his frame, he struggled. So then you get his second year. I think he got hurt the second year, wasn't it? I believe so. So now he can't build on that. The third year, you bring in LeBron, which is going to hinder his game some more because now the expectations are through the roof. You have to play at a top level every time you step on the court. And playing with LeBron, I felt like hurt his game because now you don't get the touches that you were used to getting. You got to pick your spots and do this and do that. So now he's in New Orleans and he's an all-star. All-star. But it took four years to him to get to that level. Is he reaching his potential? He is now. But it's like being drafted number two, I feel like you should have already been there by now. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's where I feel like the game itself is getting watered down. It shouldn't take you four years to be a good player. Well, it's one of those things, like we talked about as far as developing, where he came to the league 18 years old, 18, 19, maybe, because like I said, one year. And we just talked about usually, well, before you spent three to four years in college to learn these things and to develop. And as you stated, people are drafted now off potential. They right. saw what he could be could and do. could grow up to be. 
we're talking three, four years later now with him being in New Orleans, where he's finally turning that corner, whether it be development or whether it be opportunity and giving him what he needed to be successful. But still, there was a three to four year period where he would have been in college still. Exactly. Where now we're looking at him saying, okay, this is the Ingram we expect. Well, he's, he's now developed into who he's probably going to be as far as a basketball player, his frame and everything. I mean, he's still a thin guy, but he's still only, what, 21, 22 years old right now? Exactly. So, I mean, he's still got more time to develop, but we're saying, okay, finally, it took three or four years. You should have been ready as a number two. It was self-potential, and the fact that he was 18 and still needed to develop. Yes, as a Laker fan, I did look at it, and I, I look at it the same way you do. You know, you're a lottery pick. We expect you to be ready to contribute. So when you struggle as the second pick overall, and then the guy who gets drafted after you the next year is another high pick, and he comes out and he's looking better, he busts. Like, it automatically starts the whole bus talk. It's like, why is he doing better than you in his first year, you in your second year, and you still not able to do the things that this guy's doing? Like, what is the disconnect? And it's unfair to a lot of these kids because they're 18, they're 19, they're still growing into their bodies. They're still learning the game. They only spent one year at college. They, they're being developed by professionals who learn the game different than what they're what these kids are learning the game now. They like said, you grew up, you learned the fundamentals right away. So they're trying to teach kids to do things that they can't do because they skipped steps. They went off raw talent, and now these professional coaches are in their 50s and whatnot, and they're like, hey, you should be able to do this. You should know this. And I'm like, nobody ever showed me. I've always been taller than everybody. I've always been quicker. I've always been better. I didn't have to learn that. So now they're learning it at a late stage, and for some of them, it's just too late. Their bad habits have already taken over. But who's at fault, though? I, I think that's why, I, that's, that's why I'm always kind of confused with because it's like, yeah, we as the fan, like, man, you should be good, but I always go back to the parent because, but you know, I don't know Tim Duncan's parent situation or whatever, but I always go back to the parents because I felt like parent or guardian, whoever, they're the, the people in the front of the line. I can't get to your child unless I go through you. So when you play in one year of college, when we look at, you know, any has any college player that was a one and done and they was told, you know what, you need to go to the league right now and you're going to be a lottery pick, you're going to make us a lot of money. I think that plays a role in it too. A lot of these kids come from financial situations, right? That's and, fair. You know, and then they take that leap of faith, don't pan out, and then they back to the drawing board. What can I do now? You know what I'm saying? Like, like a sad situation. We look at Delonte West, but I think he probably played maybe three, maybe two, three years of college at St. Joseph. You know, mm-hmm. now he's out the league and dealing with a lot of you know mental issues potentially. It's mm-hmm. just like. It's a business. You come to the league, you play the game. We we paying you to play basketball. We're not paying you for mental health or family issues. You're here to make us money. So when we draft these kids off potential, like a Zion Williams, you know, we you know watch this boy grow up. He's my cousin at this point. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? I watch exactly. him grow up. Thinking, man, okay, man, he's, he's he's a little too big. You know, he ain't gonna be able to do this against LeBron and all these people. Okay, damn, he get to college. Okay, oh shit, he doing this. He's doing this in college. Okay, this ain't gonna work in the NBA. And here you we know, Lonzo, Lonzo threw him alive the other night. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I think I think Levine was out there like they were playing against the Bulls. Like, whoa, you can jump like that. Yeah, he can jump higher than me, right? And he probably outweighs Levine by 120 pounds. 
And that's why I told you yesterday, actually. I was like, I was completely wrong about him. Now, granted, it's still early. He's only been back. This is, what, maybe the second week. Um, so, once he starts playing some of the elite teams, because I saw Giannis go at him and Giannis was like, when I saw him rip it from Giannis and then Giannis come down and block him, I was like, you know what? We're going to have some good games for years to come. So, hopefully it does pan out. But we'll get on this Lakers, and I'm going to open the floor to you, Daryl, because you are a lifelong Lakers fan. And I credit you for that. So, 50 games in, they've literally played 50 games. What is your opinion on the Lakers right now and whether or not they should have made any moves as far as the trade deadline or if you feel like they got enough right now? Talk to me. As far as the Lakers 50 games in, uh, I'm actually I'm actually feeling good about them. I like where they are. Uh, I like the fact that Vogel came in and apparently preached defense because that was one of the biggest issues that we had. We didn't play defense at all. We still have lapses, but people are more locked in this year on defense than what we have been. I like the construction of the team. Uh, as far as the trade deadline goes and making moves, I know Kuzma was like the biggest trade piece that we had and that they talked about moving and it was more for three and D guys and because Kuzma doesn't really fit with being a third option with LeBron and AD and his shot selection, different things. Uh, I don't have a problem keeping him. I wouldn't have had a problem with a couple of the trade offers that were supposedly made or on the table as far as uh, Bogdanovich uh, or uh, you got from the Wizards, I can't think of his name, uh, Bertans. It was, that, it was just another shoot three D guy kind of from uh, Washington though. But at the same time, uh, I think it's going to work out. I don't see it being that much of an issue as what everybody says. I know Kuzma's not the best defender. But with the other pieces that we were able to get over the offseason, which was one of the biggest questions that I had when we first made the AD trade, I think we picked up good pieces. I think we got a solid team. I think, it's, I think you know, we set up for a nice run. It took 54 minutes for us to get to this point. But guess what? <laughs> Respectfully, I disagree. <laughs> I honestly feel like right now I'm ready to hit the panic button. And the reason why I say that is because 50 games in, if you evaluate, I'm going to say the first 30, they looked like a dominant team. They were locked in on defense. The chemistry between LeBron and AD, you saw it developing. You saw it getting there. Dwight Howard was coming in, giving them energy, playing at a high level. I thought Danny Green was playing defense at a high level, and you got to think, a lot of that, Avery Bradley wasn't there. Right. Avery Bradley right now is playing out of his mind. Mm-hmm. I love the way Avery Bradley is playing, but if you take these last 20 games, I don't see that. I feel like they're just out there lethargic. I'm going to hold LeBron accountable because right now his body language is awful, and I don't know if that's due to the, the Kobe Bryant situation. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt right now because for them, that's the he was the home team. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to hit the rest of the league the way it's going to hit them every time they walk in that building, every time they walk in the practice facility. You have to look up, and you're going to see that name. You're going to see the billboards. You're going to see the posters outside. So that has to have some kind of impact on the entire team 
from top to bottom. So I'm giving them that. But overall, 50 games in, I should start seeing that, all right, we're at the all-star break. We're getting ready to turn this corner. So hopefully I will see that after next week. But just using the game against Houston the other night, there is no reason why they shouldn't have won that game by 30. Right. When I watched the Phoenix Suns last night destroy Houston. Houston lost by 30 to Phoenix. Now, granted, that's them coming off of a back-to-back or whatever the case may be. But if I got JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, LeBron at 6'9", Kuzma's what, 6'8". This should be total domination. I don't feel sorry for none of y'all. This is NBA. It's not my fault y'all got rid of Capella and whoever else. Hey, put your big boy pants on, whatever. But for them to not only play down to Houston, but then when LeBron goes to the bench, they actually came back. Took the lead with LeBron on the bench. And when he comes in the game, for whatever reason, maybe it's me being biased, I keep saying in my mind, he's going to take over, put his foot on everybody's throat, and the game's going to be over. But it's the complete opposite. He slows them down. The ball stops moving. He starts taking these crazy three-point shots and this and that. And I'm waiting for somebody on the team to challenge him, call him out for that. That, to me, is what a championship team is. I saw Draymond go at Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. I've seen Draymond go at Clay or go at Curry, this and that. People on the outside think, oh, he's being negative, this and that. But no, bro, like I'm holding you accountable the same way you would hold me accountable. Right. But with LeBron, I don't see that. I almost at times feel like sometimes Anthony Davis gets teed off. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying I disagree with your stance because are they in a good spot sitting at number one in the West on paper? Yeah. But for the Clippers to go out and get Morris, that to me was scary dangerous. You can put Trez, Morris, Kawhi, Paul George, and Lou or Beverly as a closing group. I don't care how tall the Lakers are. They can't match that at all. Well, the way I look at it, the one thing that did that does bother me is the Clippers. I mean, we've lost to them each time that we played them. One time, I think, was without Paul George. And the other, I'm not sure if Paul George was even playing the second time. But at the same time, like you said, the first 30 games, the Lakers looked down. You get to this point of being close to the All-Star break. There's all the trade rumors. It's a LeBron team, which is known for trades, to mix it up, to switch up, to get that final piece that's needed in order to set the team up, right? So I feel like, you know, there's guys who are like, am I in, am I out? Because Kuzma's not the only piece. You got to give up something else with Kuzma for a lot of the things that the Lakers were looking to get. So whether it be Avery Bradley, whether it be Danny Green, Rondo, although they're vets, you still came into the situation thinking contender, running for titles, and now I may not be here. I think that goes into it. Also, we talked about at some point going to work, you get burnt out. It's almost an all-star break. Everybody's just trying to make it to the all-star break. So for me, it's all right, we dominated the first 30 games, last 20, up and down, got the Kobe thing lingering as well. Let's make it to the all-star break, come back with this, hey, 
now we got to put our foot down. Now we got to go because Clippers made their moves. They think they ready. Clippers are paying chess, dude. They are. That, those are chess moves. So for the Lakers to throw out, you know, we're, we're trying to go for Morris. And then by the end of the day, your rival gets him and really didn't have to give up nothing of importance. That was my issue with it. But you wanted Kuzma. I saw something where they wanted Kuzma. They wanted Danny and Green and, and some other pieces for the same guy that you gave for. For nobody. I mean, I ain't got Mo Heartless, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's like, so hold on, wait. From the Lakers, you wanted this guy, this guy, and this guy. Guys who are playing, who are contributing. And then from this team, it's just like, ah, just give us what you got. And, you know, throw in, sprinkle in something else from another team if you can. And y'all go ahead and have it. And here's where my conspiracies come in because I, <laughs> I feel like, like honestly, I'm like, dude, I'm like, is the league doing this to get at LeBron? Like, everybody's doing something so LeBron doesn't win. It's, I think it's a combination of LeBron and the Lakers because there's plenty of teams that don't like the Lakers. There's plenty of teams that don't like Palenka. There's plenty of people who don't like LeBron. So you got those three things all the one because – there was times where the Pelicans was like, we're not doing any deals with the Lakers, regardless of what it is, how good it might work out for. No, we're not dealing with the Lakers. And then you got another team, the Spurs, where one of the teams was like, we're not going to do anything to help the Lakers. Like, we might do some deal, But if it's going to help the Lakers, uh, we probably won't go that far. That's not a team that we're willing to really help out. So I looked at it the same way when I saw what they were asking for them for, for from the Lakers. And also from the Clippers, it's like, these two deals are not equal in any way. At all. So, Chris, I'm going I'm to I'm throw this to you real quick because I'm biased because I'm a LeBron fan. He's a lifelong Laker. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on the Lakers. I feel like LeBron can turn on when he wants to. And I, and I never forget, I think a couple years ago in the finals, I think it might have been the first time the Golden State beat them for their first title. LeBron just started taking over at the end of the game. He just started attacking the basket each time no one could stop him. That's what I think of LeBron. LeBron, to me, is somebody that can take over the game when he wants to. But in a certain situation, I think James Harden might have said it after they beat the Lakers about them not having a player taller than 6'6". It comes down to effort. That's it. Effort. It's not a long, drawn-out story or why they lost the game. It's effort at the end of the game. I mean, effort at the end of the day. So it's like I think LeBron, Anthony Davis – I like uh, Cuso, whatever. Caruso. 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 Kuzma. Kuzma. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Lakers still can pull it off, though, personally, especially with just the motivation of the untimely Delta Kobe. I think it's a different type of motivation. That's the first thing I thought about. Like, man, LeBron really might come out here now and just play. You know, because even something as simple as, you know, I, I saw your Instagram or I think it might have been Facebook about – LeBron posting a picture after the game, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, of that dunk, right? So, you know, I saw it, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. But then last night, I saw the clip of Kobe doing the dunk and LeBron doing the same exact dunk, the same exact way and everything. And I thought, like, wow, that, I, was, I was intrigued by that because it's kind of like, dang, you know, mid-game LeBron's probably thinking, you know, I don't think that play was planned, but when Lon, I guess, but when LeBron got the ball, he took off, he did it, and then less than 24 hours later, we get clips side by side of him doing the same thing Kobe was doing. So I guess with LeBron, it's he likes to keep it professional. He wants to play the game. He's gonna play hard when it matters. But also with him, it's fun to him. 
the man's made over half a billion dollars. You know what I'm saying? He's really playing for the fun of it. I think, it, you know, but also, once again, like we've always spoke about, year 17. How many other NBA players you think can play at the level LeBron's playing at in year 17? But here's the thing, and here goes the second. I respectfully <laughs> disagree because, and the people say that I'm a, I'm a hard critic, or so to speak. But I'm saying the key word here is accountability. Like I don't I don't care that it's year 17, and the reason why I don't care is because you're the one on Instagram showing your workouts. You're the one showing your your meals and doing this and doing that. Savage season hashtag Wash King and this and that. So don't give me oh. He's going to turn it on when he needs to. Because at the end of the day, dog, this is your job. Right. I can't get up and go to Humana and say, you know what? I ain't going to crank out these, these inquiries today. I'll do it Friday. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. But if all of us are on the same team, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or what I can potentially do. And I'm watching y'all do it. And then I just decide to come in. That's not fair to y'all. It's not fair to my, my company. So I'm saying that you don't get to pick and choose when you want to play hard. And, yes, I am a LeBron James fan. And the reason why I'm a fan is because I like the way he plays. He wants to get everybody involved. But it's almost to a fault because the other night you get 15 assists against Houston. I was looking at that too. (laughs) In a four-point game with five minutes left, y'all were winning. Who cares about the assist at this point as a – Top three, I'm not going to say he's a scorer because that, to me, is the difference between Kobe, Mike, and this and that. LeBron James is not a scorer. But like you said, physically, he can put his head down and go to a free throw line every time he touches the ball if he wants to. Mm -hmm. But he took one free throw that night. That, to me, is a sign of somebody who's not focused. You don't care about winning. And you're just out there to be out there. That's why I disagreed with him getting on the microphone. Him getting on Instagram, I'm going to carry your legacy. No, bro. Those are some shoes that you don't even try to put on. Because I knew that every single night, win, lose, or draw, Kobe Bryant was going to give you 150%. The only time I didn't see Kobe do that was against Phoenix Phoenix. in those playoff games. And I was blown away by that. But outside of that, even if Kobe had to go out there and take every damn shot, excuse my language, he was going to take every damn shot to try to win. Everybody loses, but how you lose is important to me. Right. And that's where I have a gripe with LeBron because, to me, he has accepted losing. He doesn't even try to win. That game was on a plate for them. And you had the mismatches with height. But yet, down the stretch you taking three-pointers when you can just go in and get two. Chip away at it and lock. There's no way Westbrook should get downhill every single trip down the floor. And that's where my gripe comes in with Kuzma, too, because I'm like, there's no reason for Kuzma to be 6'7", 6'8", and you're not trying to contribute in other ways other than just scoring. In order to be a championship team, everybody has to buy in. It's just not my night tonight. My shot's not falling. How can I contribute in another way? I agree with that 100%. That's my gripe with the Lakers and Kuzma. Because I'm saying to myself, it's not my team. I'm not a diehard Lakers. And I understand that a lot of people were upset with them moving young core pieces. Has it paid off? 
I feel like a little bit it has, mm -hmm. but now that one valuable piece that everybody wanted to hold on to last year is showing signs of, I almost kind of feel like Kuzma wants out. I feel like he's he's trying to build his own brand. I see him posting on IG with his marketing, and I've teamed up with Abercrombie or whoever it was, mm -hmm. and he's got to deal with Pumas. So Kuzma's in the mind frame of, man, I'm young. I'm that up-and-coming guy that nobody expected to blossom this early. I got to build off of this. Like, this is how I'm going to feed my family and put food on, on my table and build my pockets. So right now... You're playing with a veteran guy who's trying to win a championship. But also, I think playing for the Lakers, you're trying to win a championship. It's an expectation. So you you got to meet in the middle somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So if Kuzma's not getting the touches the way he wants, he's not going to be motivated to play defense. He's not going to be motivated to say, you know what, I'm not going to keep letting Westbrook cook me. Because they kept getting him on the island the other night. And it's two points. Chalk it. Nothing you can do about it. It's like somebody else said when they were talking about Kuzma and where he fits in with the team. Where they say, you know, he's now a third option on a team where there was really no first option when he first came in. Everybody was just getting up shots because there were no expectations for the Lakers during their first two seasons, really. So now you're saying, no, you got to take better shots. Now you got to play defense because we got these other guys who are our focus. So now you have to fit into the team concept. Which I'm not saying that you can't, but the issue comes down to, like you said, playing defense and doing other things that you didn't normally do because your shot's not on or somebody else is on or we need to go. Our advantage is somewhere else. We can't just feed you the ball and have you taking shots. So if you're not doing something else, what good are you to our team? And that was a big reason that he was on the trade block, apparently. It was if he's not scoring and he's not one of the top options and doesn't really get to give you that, what else is he giving you? Nothing. So why keep him around a guy who's not going to be beneficial to your team unless he has the ball when you know you have other ball handlers, other shooters who are going to have the ball before him? And it's something that they was like, well, he's trying to make sure he gets his numbers for his next contract, whether he stays with the Lakers or whether he ends up going elsewhere. And they were bringing up guys. Uh, they brought up uh, – Glenn Rice, when he played for the Lakers, and they won a championship, but he went from being the number one guy on a different team to being four or five on the Lakers, and he wasn't happy. He wanted out, although they won a championship. Well, Kuz might be in the same situation where he has to kind of play the Trevor Ariza role, where you'll get your shots when you open, just knock them down, and other than that, we need you to be rebounding, playing defense, and doing the things in order to win and you'll still get Trevor Reza left and went to Houston and got a nice contract being that cleanup guy, really. Being a right. defender, defender, being a 3 and D guy or whatnot. But Kuzma has to develop that defender mentality. Say, hey, I'm going to stay in front of somebody or I'm going to at least run you off course or something and be productive in some other way. Well, hopefully they turn it around. So uh, real quick before we wrap it up, um, I want to pay my respects personally to Kobe Bryant. I've given that man a, a hard time his whole career, and it wasn't because he wasn't a good basketball player, because Kobe was tremendous. The only gripe that I had was the style of play, and that's where I separated him and LeBron in regards to 
Kobe was going to shoot over a double team. He was going to shoot over a triple team. But he was that damn good to where he was confident enough to where he was going to make it. So I never disrespected Kobe as a talented individual because I always respected the work ethic. I respected the mentality, the approach to the game. What I'm going to miss the most is after he retired and him going around doing the interviews, the interview that he had with him and Shaq, I sat down and watched that two or three times. I loved hearing him speak about the game. He was so knowledgeable, and he, you, you felt his, his love for the game in his words. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is like we got cut short. I look at the the Bill Russells, and when they do those segments, All-Star Weekends and stuff like that, and they give back to the game, we were cut off from that. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where I'm like, man, that hurts. I watched the the interview with uh, Steven Jackson and Mark, uh, Matt, Matt Barnes. Barnes and just listening to him and how he was talking about his daughter and this and that. So, like, that's what hurt me. And I honestly want to say, like, I, I – I I don't know. Like I'm I'm lost for words in regards to how that all happened because I honestly feel like he was taken away way too soon, way too soon. So I'm gonna open the floor up to you real quick because you're you're the Laker, you're the Laker. Like what what goes through your mind when you heard that? Like talk to me. I was at work and somebody said something about you know hey. Kobe passed away? And they was asking because they know I'm a Laker fan. It was like, Kobe passed? I was like, first thing I thought, I was like, somebody's making a joke. I was like, LeBron passed Kobe in points last night. I was like, somebody's making a joke. He passed, you know, LeBron had passed him. He passed, he couldn't handle it, blah, blah, blah. Then it came out, oh, well, they're saying something about a helicopter. Okay, now this might be legit. Let me start looking into this. And then I see TMZ. I'm like, ah, it's TMZ. I take it with a grain of salt. Seconds later, now it's up New York Post, Washington Post. Uh, it's on ESPN. They're mentioning it here and there. I'm like, all right, this this might be real. And I was like, well, you know, he took helicopters on time. Maybe it was just his helicopter and he wasn't actually on it. I I took so much time thinking away reasons that it wasn't true that it was Kobe for like the first five or ten minutes before it set in. Kobe could really be gone. And... Growing up a Lakers fan and finding out we traded Vladi Divac for Kobe and, you know, knowing knowing Kobe's name and knowing you're a high school kid, really good, whatnot, but being a Laker and being like, but we gave up Vladi. Like, Vladi was, like, our big guy at the time. <laughs> so he's like, no, we really give up Vladi for this Kobe guy. He's 17, man. But then watching him play behind Eddie Jones and slowly they had to move Eddie Jones out of his way. And you got to get rid of Nick Van Exel. And, you you know, you open it up for this guy. And then you watch him play over the years. And it's like, like you said, even after his career was over, hearing him talk about basketball, seeing him coach his daughter, seeing him at events with his daughter, still pointing out this and that, or just the family time that he had. And generally, it's like, dudes enjoying his life after life. We saw him as that killer in basketball. Like, it was all basketball. And then for it to turn a corner, for him to just be like, I'll give y'all basketball, but I'm going to give y'all this family, man, too. And I'm going to give you these business endeavors. And to find out that, like you said, he's gone so early, it does, it, it hits you different. It's just like it's, it still seems unreal. It doesn't seem real even to this day that he's not just going to pop up smiling, laughing, and like, hey, you know, it's, remember when I gave you that or, you know, now nah, I'm just here with my daughter. I'm just doing it. 
it's gone. It's tough, man. So you talk to me. Man, I, I guess for me, it was just, I know, I guess, how, I mean, let's speak on how I found out. Like, I know I was at the gym actually with Dante, and I was looking at my phone, and I think I saw on Instagram, you know, um, Kobe Bryant passes away. I'm like, I'm like, I was in between the set, me and Dante was working out. I'm like, Dante, Dante, like, you know, I was talking to him, whatever. I couldn't even get the words out. I had to, I basically slid him my phone. Because it's like, because to me, when I think of Kobe, and I'm like, I'm not even really a Kobe fan. I'm a fan of basketball in general, so, but not really a Kobe. I really wasn't a Kobe fan, but to me, it was more so like, dang, I think of Kobe as somebody who could have survived the helicopter helicopter crash. That's how, that's how I look at Kobe. He done went through all these battles on the court, off the court, whatever, and he always came out on top. You know he gave his all in every single thing that he wanted for the last 20 years playing basketball. Because like you said, it didn't really matter how you felt about Kobe. You knew when he was stepping on that court, you better give 100%. Because like, you know, Steven Jackson, they was always talking about laughing. Like, man, you even him playing defense, elbowing, you know, just, just he always has some way of getting the edge, just basically having to, just being one step ahead of people on the court. Exactly. So I think that's just where it just gets kind of, it's definitely a sad situation in general, just for him, his daughter, even other families involved. But it's just definitely shocking just how it happened, when it happened. You know, life is definitely unpredictable. And that's just something, you know, we just have to live with, live with as far as understanding. Just life is unpredictable. We just got to cherish every moment. Exactly. And that that's a great way to close this out. Of life is unpredictable cherish the moments and again I just want to thank y'all for taking the time to sit with me and get through this first episode see like you you honestly have pushed me to get this going and between you and my wife like I felt like I, I owed y'all this I owed y'all this so like you said life is unpredictable you gotta take every day for what it's worth you gotta live it enjoy it and push forward so with that this is the first episode of I Respectfully Disagree. Thank you all for listening. Again, like, share, comment, give me your feedback, and we are out.